Hey, real quick, before we get started, I just want to uh, just uh, say a few words about when we get back together and let you know what my heart is. Everybody wants to get back together as a church. Um, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're all praying for. We're all longing for it, looking forward to it. But it's my heart. I don't want to get back together until it's completely safe. Um, what we may do before we actually meet in our church facility at The Rock, what we may do is, is um, you know, rent something out at the park there, do some outdoor services. But I just want to make sure that everybody's going to be safe before we actually uh, start meeting together. And so just let you know we're thinking about it. And, uh, you know, be praying for us. Be praying for God's heart, God's direction. All right? So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And as you do that, we'll go ahead and pray. Father God, just so wonderful to worship you. Lord, it's so uplifting just to raise our voices to you and sing your praises. Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you've done for us as a family, all that you've done for us as a church. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would just anoint this time. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Give us hearts to receive what your spirit wants to speak to us. Lord, and in spite of me, in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my um, frailties and failures, Lord, in spite of me, would you just bless the teaching of your word and would you let your word go out with power and just minister to our hearts, encourage our hearts, Lord. Let us see you, let us see Jesus. Let us be stirred to run the race. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So last week in our study, we made it through the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain, as you'll recall, he allowed his heart to get hard. He saw that his brother's sacrifices were accepted and his was rejected. And we saw last week that it appeared that God gave instructions to Cain and Abel about how they were to approach him, when they were to approach him, and where they were to approach him. But Cain wanted to approach God on his own terms. He wanted to approach God based on his own efforts. And the lesson we learned last week through Cain is that it's not acceptable to, to approach God in any other way than with the, the shed blood of the innocent, with, with the blood of the innocent dying for the guilty in place of the guilty. And we pointed out that that's the acceptable way to come to God. It's coming to him in the shed blood, through the shed blood of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the only, the only acceptable way uh, to approach a holy God. It's not based on our good deeds. It's not based on our merit, on good intentions. We can only approach God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us there at the cross of Calvary. And we finished last week, Genesis 4.16, and it says that, that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And we talked a little bit, and I want to uh, go back to it and just Think it through how tragic it is when people go out from the presence of, of the Lord because they refuse to surrender their hearts because they 
refuse to surrender their will to an all-loving God. I mean, it's just so tragic. They allow their pride to get in the way. They, their hatred for maybe another person or for a situation that they think is unfair. They walk away from God because they're jealous of someone or, or something that, that they, they just don't think is right. And they let that work in their hearts in such a way that it keeps them from coming to God. And, and all the while that those things are brewing in somebody's hearts, all the while God is still reaching out to them. Just like we saw last week, God is still reaching out to Cain. He was pleading with them. He's pleading with us. Just come to him and receive his, his uh, forgiveness and receive his acceptance. And boy, it is just so terribly tragic when somebody will walk away from God. It literally breaks God's heart to see us act that way. So we pick up our study in um, verse 14, Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, sorry. Genesis chapter 4, 17. And it says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and uh, called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, probably one of the most frequently asked questions by skeptics, by new believers, uh, by kids, is where did Cain get his wife? And the obvious answer is he probably married uh, a sister, a niece, and, uh, a cousin, some close relative. Genesis 5, verse 4 and 5, tells us that Adam lived for 930 years, and Adam and Eve, they had sons and daughters. So, I mean, if you think about it, you can, pu you can produce a lot of uh, kids in 900 years. I mean, yeah, they might have just been pumping them out, you know. Um, I'm sure that Adam and Eve, they were fruitful, and they multiplied just the way God had, had uh, commanded them to. And uh, so Cain, he probably married a sister, a niece, a cousin, who knows. And it was out of necessity that he had to take a, a wife from a, a relative because guess what? They're the only ones that are around. <laughs> Nobody else, right? It wasn't until God spoke to Moses and gave the law uh, that it was forbidden for a man to marry his sister or even a, a half-sister. And at this time, the gene pool, it was so pure, it was pure enough that there wouldn't have been any of the, the damaging results, the damaging effects from marrying a close relative, from marrying a sister or a cousin, what have you. And we read here that Cain had a son and he called his name Enoch. And Cain built a city and called it after the name of the son. Now, what we see here is Cain, he continues in his rebellion against God. Genesis 1.28, we read back a few weeks ago that God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And instead of multiplying and f uh, filling the earth, what Cain does is he builds a city so people would gather there, and it's in spite of God's instructions. Verse 18 says, to Enoch was born Erod, to Erod Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, 
and the name of the second was Zillah. Now, in chapter 5, most of you, um, if not all of you, are familiar with the meaning of the names in the genealogy found in, in chapter 5. And if, you, if you're not familiar with it, we're going to look at it uh, when we get there. But um, here, it's all, there's also a genealogy that's presented to us. And you know what? It's worth noting Cain's descendants and the meaning of their names. So it says, to Enoch was born Erod. Erod literally means fugitive. Erod begot Mahujael, which means blot out or wipe out the name of God. Mahujael begot Methushael, which means they are dead who are of God. I mean, it's such a scornful, hateful, bitter name, right? And Methushael begot Lamech, which means poor, uh, lowly. It could, it could mean afflicted. And so what I think we see here is this legacy of bitterness and hardness towards God that's been passed on from Cain down to his kids. And, um, you know, it all started with Cain's just refusing to surrender. And it didn't matter to Cain uh, what God wanted. It didn't matter to Cain, you know, what his parents wanted or how his actions were going to hurt his parents. And it didn't matter to Cain, in fact, who would be hurt as a result of his refusal to just surrender. He refused, he refused to just simply submit and surrender to God. And it would seem that his family because of Cain's action, his family now had no chance to come into a right understanding of who God really was as a result of Cain's stubbornness. And it's just so sad. It goes on around us today. All around us, people are, are that way. And, you know, this is an opportunity for me to just really encourage you. I just really want to encourage you. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You know, you have a lot to offer. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you have a lot to offer. And maybe there's a young guy at work that you know or a young guy uh, in your neighborhood that, that, you know, the Lord might want you to reach out to that guy. Maybe there's a young girl that you see around the neighborhood or you see her at the grocery store. I'd encourage you, be sensitive to the Lord, how he would have you reach out to them. Maybe the Lord would have you ask them to just gather together at the park and grab some coffee or go for a hike. Um, and as you engage, you take time and spend time with these people that you're sensitive to the Lord, bringing them into your life and taking a step of faith, reaching out to them. As you take time and engage them, boy, there just might be a tremendous open door to make a difference in somebody's life, someone who comes from a family that's turned off uh, on God and who's bitter towards God. Now, you might say, well, Gare, you know, I mean, you really don't know me. I'm, I'm just not that bold. I'm not an evangelist. You know, that's not my calling. And, and great. You know what? Even better, because you know what that means is when God does an amazing work in this person's life. It's not because of you. It's because of you relying on God. That's a good thing. 
You know, it's a good thing to take a step of faith and to see God do a great work in somebody else's life. And I just want to share with you, this is, this is coming from experience on my part. My best friends are young guys that I would just have uh, come to our house and sit at our dinner table. And uh, they would come and we would uh, sit on a fairly regular basis or they would come to my office. We would eat donuts. And you know what we'd do is we'd just crack open the Bible and we'd just talk about it. We'd read verses and chapters and I would ask him, what do you think that means? And I would tell him what I thought it meant. And you know, it started a friendship. I heard their views. I heard their heart. They heard my views. They heard my heart. And it started a friendship. And the guys that I've done this with, they're actually my best friends. And all of them are either pastoring a church, they're uh, assisting in the church, they're elders in a church, they're, they're you know, serving somehow in the church. And, you know, they're all married now. It's, it's neat to see. They're all married now. And they have kids that love the Lord and are running after Him. You know, people in the church, they call this discipleship. You know, I don't know. I don't know what discipleship is. I wasn't out looking to disciple anybody. I was just looking out to connect with somebody, to share Christ with them, and just to come away with a friend um, that loved the Lord. That was my intention. Few people today are trying to build friendships. You know, it's just a lost art building friendships. Few people today are engaging in friendship evangelism. And, you know, God does supernatural things in just natural ways. I mean, you want to see God do something supernatural, just take a step out in faith. You know, if you're a believer, God wants to use you. And if you've been walking, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know, He wants to take what has been poured into you and He wants you to pour that into somebody else. It's, it's a way of reproducing you know, he'll, he'll let you know who to, if you're sensitive, he'll let you know who to reach out to. You know, he'll let you know what he wants to accomplish as you just begin pouring into this person. You know, the question today is, will you let him use you? Boy, that's what we want. We want to be used by the Lord. Now, as we go on, the name Lamech, it could mean conquer, conqueror. We're going to read shortly about his pride and his arrogance. You know, it's interesting to note that Lamech, he was the seventh from Adam in Cain's sinful line. Do you know who the seventh from Adam was in the line of Seth? Do you remember? What was Enoch? Enoch, who walked with God, pleased God, and he was looking for and he was prophesying about the return of the Lord. And uh, just what a striking difference. You know, Lamech comes from a sinful line where there's bitterness and hardness of heart. And Seth comes from a line that just desires to seek and surrender to the Lord. We also see that Lamech, he was the first polygamist. You know, it was through this rebellious line of Cain that we see Lamech disregard God's instruction that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, singular. 
And the name of, the name of uh, Lamech's wife was Ada, and that means pleasure, means beauty, can mean seductress. And the name of his other wife, uh, Zillah, means shabby or shade. And it seems to indicate that when Lamech took two wives, uh, one became favored in his eyes. And uh, the lesson here is, you know, as you, yeah, the lesson here is this. I'm just thinking ahead of myself. You know, the lesson here is really important for us guys. Really important for us guys. We need to have eyes only for our wives. Guys, our wives need to be the standard of beauty in our lives. To the degree that we see anyone else become more attractive in our eyes, whether it's through the internet, whether it's um, through some interaction or flirting there at the grocery store or whatever the case may be, to that same degree, your wife will become less attractive and even ugly in your eyes. And ladies, the, the same is true for you too, okay? I know that the man you married isn't, you know, your husband isn't the man that you married, right? You're tired of picking up his socks. You're tired of shutting drawers behind him. But we need to guard our hearts. Guys, girls, we need to guard our hearts. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Well, verse 20 says, and Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubalcane, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was Naama. Cain's line, luckily strictly with the eyes of the world, Cain's line would have just been it would appear wildly successful in every way. I mean, Jubal, he was successful in developing agriculture and animal husbandry. Uh, that was Jabal. Jubal, I mean, you know, the guy, he had a short memory. He couldn't remember the names of his kids. Jabal, Jubal, Tubal. You know, so <laughs> yeah, same problem I have, I guess. Jabal was successful in agriculture and animal husbandry. Jubal, he was an accomplished musician. He was a founder of what we call the arts and culture. And Tubalcane, he was a, a founder and instructor of metallurgy. So in the eyes of the world, they were wildly successful. And yet they were rejected by God because they rejected God. Their rejection of God ultimately led them into judgment as Cain's sinful line. And ultimately, they would be wiped out from the flood, never to be heard from again. Verse 23 says, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. I mean, I don't know, guys that talk like that, I mean, okay, just get to the point, will you? Okay, uh, maybe that's the way we need to start talking to our kids, right? Uh, Brian and Austin, sons of Gary, listen to my speech. Brian, yeah, whatever. Anyway, get to the point. He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. 
If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And so these two verses, they come to us in a poetic form. Um, Lamech, he's bragging about killing a young man that had wounded him. So I guess what we see here is the first incidence of a rapper. Um, this is the first uh, rapper. He's bragging about killing a man. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, he says, and Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And here he's boasting about his ability to defend himself far better than God. If God's going to uh, avenge Cain sevenfold, then you know what? All 77-fold uh, retribution on anybody that tries to hurt me. So he thinks that, that he's able and more powerful to avenge than actually God is, just leaving it into God's hands. Coincidentally, I mean, isn't it interesting? He uses the number. What is the number he uses? 77-fold. Another way to say that is 70 times 7. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, he tells his followers not to avenge, not to retaliate, but to forgive. And it just happens to be that number 70 times 7. And the, the record of the sinful line of Cain ends with vengeance and retribution. And to me, it's such a sad chapter. You know, Cain, he goes out from the presence of the Lord. He allowed his stubbornness to isolate him from God. And we see that that influenced his family. It had a lasting influence on his family for generations to come. And they never returned to the Lord. They went out and got involved in so many things. They were filling their lives with arts and different occupations, but they never returned to the Lord. They never returned to God. And you know, it doesn't matter what you fill your life with because without God in your life, you know, life is just empty and meaningless. It's not worth living. Verse 25 and Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, uh, who Cain killed. Um, remember the promise that God gave of the Messiah coming from the seed of the woman. The Messiah couldn't come from the lineage of righteous Abel because Cain had murdered him. Couldn't come from Cain because uh, of his sinful line and his rejection of God. And so God gives Eve another son, and somehow he reveals to Eve that it's through this son that the promise of uh, the, the Messiah, the seed of the woman, would come through. And we read, And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this verse doesn't mean that prior to this time, people were not calling on the name of the Lord. But the people began to gather, gather together is what it's talking about. They began to gather together to call on the name corporately. People were praying to God on their own, but in view of how wickedness was spreading across the world, um, people began to see the need to uh, have the support of others praying with them. And we've talked about it before. We need to stand together. We want to be able to survive the ungodly onslaught in this world. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is stand together 
as believers. It says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And I love this because even in the times of unrighteousness and wickedness spreading across the world, um, there's a revival. That's what it's talking about here. Some have called Genesis 4, 26, the first revival because it was the first indication of a spiritual resurgence after a clear decline. And I just want to share with you my heart right now. I want to put a little bug in your ear. When we're able to gather back together as a church safely, we're going to start a prayer meeting. It's one of the greatest needs in every church. Um, You know, Hudson Taylor, I don't know if you know who Hudson Taylor is. He was a great missionary. He founded uh, the Inland China Missions. And uh, he told another great missionary, Jonathan Goforth. He was also a missionary in China. And he told Jonathan Goforth, if you want to be successful in China, go on your knees. You know what? If we're going to see spiritual uh, resurgence, if we're going to see revival in our area here in the town of Truckee, we need to go forward on our knees as a church. If we want to see the moving of the Holy Spirit like never before seen in the history of this church, we need to pray. If we're going to impact the communities in any meaningful way, we need to pray as a church. We need to pray together. People who gather together and pray, those are the people that see God move in radical ways. They're the people that see God answer prayers in unexpected way. You know? The people that don't put emphasis on prayer and they they don't want to engage in it to any extent, well, they don't see God doing great things, you know? So my heart is to encourage you. Let's get together and pray when we can. In the meantime, let's be praying and pouring our heart out to the Lord for the community. You know, I hope that each one of you will get involved in a a, uh, church prayer meeting when it happens. Well, that was the last that we see of Cain. The last we, that, oh, I'm sorry. That was uh, what was lost in Cain. Now we see regained in Seth. How that he uh, must have really brought pleasure to Adam and Eve to see their children and their grandchildren begin to approach God and worship him and seek him um, again. That must have been brought, that must have brought tremendous joy to Adam and Eve. That must have been such a a joyful experience for them in their heart. I can't imagine. You know, we live today in a world that's more Cain-like than Seth-like. And uh, it's it's to our shame, I think. Our world is similar in every way what we've seen there in in Genesis chapter 4 over the last few weeks. We have great advances in agriculture and industry. You know, the arts and culture are just going wild. And um, there's religion that promotes uh, self-effort. There's religion that promotes good deeds, you know, as a method of approaching God, abandoning abandoning uh, the blood of Jesus Christ as a way to approach God. So many people today are like Lamech. In fact, they glorify, you know, acts of brutality. And they also glorify murder. They glorify, um, you know, how they fail to, 
to hold to the instructions of, of the sacred institution of marriage. How, you know, uh, marriage is no longer, and they glory in it between a man and a woman. They glory in these things. And the bad news for the world is this. Judgment is coming. But the good news, <laughs> there's good news. There's a way to escape that judgment. If people are interested in it, God's provided a way to escape the judgment. God is not a respecter of person. He's willing to receive anybody who's willing to surrender their heart, to surrender their will, come and ask for forgiveness of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Chapter 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that God created them. We have here a little recap of creation in these first couple of verses. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses is reiterating, he's reinforcing a six literal day creation, right? Six literal days, six literal 24-hour days that God created everything in. And he reinforces it. He restates it by saying and repeating twice, in the day that God created, and in that day God created. Verse 3, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Adam was created in the image of God. But now we read that Seth, he was created in the image of Adam. What image is that? Right here, what we see very early on is we see that Seth is affected by the fall. Just like us, um, he was born with a sin nature. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Now, that's what it's talking about is now Seth, he's, he's created in the image of Adam. He's affected by the fall. He has a sin nature. I find it interesting in verse 1 it says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Adam and Eve, they already had at least two other kids, Cain and Abel. And they're not mentioned in the genealogy here. They probably had other kids. The reason why these other kids aren't mentioned is the Bible records genealogies that are important and it only records the names of the important and pertinent people in that genealogy. The Bible is concerned with the introduction of the Messiah into the world through Adam, Abraham, and David as a fulfillment of prophecy. So we don't see all the kids that Adam and Eve had over the course of those 900 years. But you know what? Whether you know it or not, each one of us are descendants of Seth. All of us are descendants of Noah since he and only seven others uh, actually survived the flood. And we all have this common genealogy that links us back to Noah, back to Seth. Verse 4 after he begot Seth, the days of Adam's were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. 
and he died. Adam lived 930 years. Now track with me because this is important, okay? He lived 930 years. That means Adam saw Seth, saw Enosh, saw Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah. He saw them all grow up. Adam lived 55 years into the life of Lamech. He died 28 years before Noah uh, was born. And you know, Adam, he had an influence on all these guys, all these kids. And I'm sure that they would sit down and ask Adam, you know, what, what was it like before the fall? I imagine they asked him what it was like. You know, what was it like to walk with God? You know, what did God's voice sound like? What did he look like? What was it that made God smile? I'm sure they asked him, like, what was the tone of his voice? It was all the things that you and I would ask. And I think it's hard to imagine, but Adam, he's with all these kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and, and so on, and he shares with them all about the Lord. He's old now. 930 years, uh, he's probably gray-haired. Maybe his back hurts. Maybe his knees hurt. Um, you know, Satan has been proven a liar because ever since Adam ate of the fruit of the knowledge of uh, the good and evil, you know, he's been dying. And it's kind of sad to think about Adam. He walked with God. He saw what perfection looked like. And you know, he regretted his sin like no one else has ever regretted uh, sin in the history of mankind. He knew what it was like pre-sin. And he carried the burden of paradise lost with him, knowing that he was responsible for the fall of man. And now he's dead. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You know, it's the only job that pays the same, whether you work at it part-time or full-time. It has the same paycheck at the end. And we see here the truth of Scripture played out in Adam's life. Adam was told back in Genesis 2.17 in regards to the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam died spiritually the day that he ate of the fruit. He was separated from God. And that's what spiritual death is, is a separation from God. Adam's sin separated from him from God. And he died that day spiritually. There's no life. There's no life apart from life lived in the presence of God. And we're going to read this phrase, and he died eight times uh, in this chapter. But before we go on, I want to address one objection that some, someone may have. You know, some people think, oh, you know what? Yeah, he lived 900 years. Uh, it's impossible. Well, you know, during this time, we've already learned, we've already read about how there was this water vapor canopy surrounding. It was all over the world in the atmosphere. And a lot of scientists have written about this. 
Probably the book that I would recommend most is The Genesis Record by Dr. Henry Morris. But there are others too that write about this. But in Dr. Morris's book, he talks about how that water canopy would filter out, you know, solar radiation, infrared and ultraviolet rays. And um, that along with a pure, unpolluted genome sequence, people would live far longer than what we see them live today. In fact, uh, if it wasn't for such poor diets that we have, it wasn't for environmental uh, factors that we face, if it wasn't for just stressful lifestyles that we engage in, you know, it's estimated that a, a person's heart would beat 500 years easy, maybe even longer. And I can tell you, as someone who's studied anatomy, somebody who's studied the sciences of the human body, I mean, the Bible says it, we are truly fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know, not only that, when Jesus returns and he sets up his millennial kingdom, longevity of life is also going to return to mankind. It says in Isaiah 65, 20, that a child shall die when he's 100 years old. When somebody in that millennial kingdom dies at 100 years old, people are going to say, oh, it's so sad. He was just a kid. Now we get into the genealogy, verse 6. Bear with me. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he got Mahal, begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. Now, this is a different Enoch than we read, of course, in uh, the line of Cain, verse 19. But after Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Wait a minute. Did I read that right? Out of nowhere, there's this interruption in the narrative regarding death. Enoch, he doesn't die. What happened to Enoch? Well, we read in verse 24, God took him. The idea behind the Hebrew here is that God transferred him. Enoch was in one place and God transferred him to another place. Enoch is one of two people uh, written about in the Bible. It says that he walked with God. Enoch is also one of two people, two men in the Bible who went to heaven and didn't have to die to go there. 
And it's through Enoch's life and walk with God that we, began to see, that we begin to see that it's possible to escape death. Well, what can we learn from Enoch? We're told in Hebrews 11:5 that Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So it says first that he walked with God. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So the idea here is to be in agreement with God means to see, walking with God, being in agreement with God means to see things as God sees them. The idea of walking together suggests unity. They're headed in the same direction. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the Greek word there to confess is homologeo. And what it means is just to agree with, right? When we confess our sins, we agree with God that we've done wrong. And it's then that he's able to wash us and cleanse us from our sins. And when we're in agreement with God, that we have sinned, then we begin to our walk with God, to be in unity with God, to see things as he sees things. And we read in Hebrews also that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch pleased God. Um, well, how did he please God? 11.6 says, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. What is the faith? What's it look like that's pleasing to God? A multitude of people that were following Jesus for the wrong reasons, they come to Jesus and they say, what must we do that we may work the works of God? I mean, they wanted to find righteousness in their works. And they're asking, what must we do to do the works, plural, of God? But Jesus answered them, this is the work, singular, of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. It's faith in God's son. That's what's pleasing to God. As we place our faith in him, that's what's pleasing to God. But it also says in 11.6 of Hebrews, when we come to God, we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our faith, it must include the belief that God is God. I mean, it sounds silly, but you know what? We got to come to God and believe that he is God, that he is holy, that he is above all things. We must believe that, that God is there for us and that he will reveal himself to us as we seek him with a whole undivided heart. We have the opportunity to shame, uh, share in the same testimony that Enoch had. We please God by confessing our sins, by placing our faith in him, and by trusting in him. And God is pleased when we trust in him and we commit ourselves to him and to his care. Now, I find it crazy, and it's true, and you run into these people too. I mean, they're believers, 
but they act like God is not alive. They act like they don't expect God to ever answer their prayers. They utter prayers, but there's no expectation of an answer. I mean, they're believers, but they're living like Christian atheists. Someone might say, you know what? It was easier to live a a life pleasing to God in Enoch's day. You know, Enoch didn't have all the pressures. He didn't have all the the things pulling on him, vying for his attention like we have today. But you know what? It's not true. Enoch didn't have a Bible. He didn't have an Old New Testament giving instruction on how to live a life after uh, God, how to live a life pleasing to Jesus Christ. He didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him like we do as believers, right? And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live this life for Jesus Christ. Everything that Enoch accomplished in his life, in his walk with God, is infinitely more available to us as believers today. Enoch, in living his life in this way, in a way that was pleasing to God, escaped judgment that was coming upon the world. God pouring out his wrath on a wicked, sinful world. And the lesson that we learn from Enoch is that there's victory over death. It's found in a walk with God. Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Talking about when Christ comes again for his church, That's what the days will look like in his coming. It'll look like the days of Noah. And you know what? There was was wickedness, uh, evil intent in men's hearts uh, continually, it says in Genesis 6. But what we read about here is there were three groups of people on the earth just prior to that flood. There were those that perished in the flood. Secondly, there were those that were preserved through the flood. And thirdly, those that were taken out before the flood. Enoch is an Old Testament picture of those who are walking with the Lord. Uh, It's an Old Testament picture of the rapture. They'll be taken out and and brought to heaven prior to God uh, pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Well, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. Enoch is just one person. Well, so are we. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're we're one person in Christ. One day the Lord is going to return for his church, very soon, I believe. And prior to the judgment that's ahead, where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, he's going to come and take his church to be in heaven with him escaping judgment. And those of us that are alive at that time, we're not going to face death. And Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. Those that believe in him, though they may die, live. Even though that should the Lord tarry and we experience a physical death, we're alive spiritually to God in a glorified body. You know, death has no victory. Death has no power over the believer. Verse 25, 
Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he lived. It's so interesting to note here Methuselah as this tremendous picture of God's grace. I mean, God eventually, evidently, uh, revealed to Lamech somehow that when Methuselah died, the flood would come. Judgment of God would come when Methuselah died. Methuselah was the oldest living person in the history of the world. And so what we see here is even as God was going to deal with the sin that's rampant in the world, he delays his judgment, giving people time to repent, giving people a chance to turn from their sins. Man, it's such a gracious uh, Lord that we serve. You know, we're not to count the promises. We're not to count the promises of God. Oh, what does it say? It's not in my notes. It's just coming to me now. Yeah, let's find it. Wasn't planning on sharing it. Peter writes. Second Peter chapter three. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Second Peter chapter three, nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Man, it's just the grace of God. It's so beautiful. It's so rich. You know, how crazy is it to think that Methuselah, I mean, he helped Noah build the ark for probably a hundred years. And just imagine Noah and his three sons, knowing that when Methuselah dies, the flood is going to come. They look down and they see this 900-year-old guy and they're thinking, man, we need to get to, to work, man. We need to get busy and get this ark going because it could be any day now. I mean, uh, you know, they're probably like, hey, hey, Methuselah, just take a seat, okay? Rest a while, right? We got a lot of work to do. Stay off the scaffolding. But anyway, Lamech, verse 28, Lamech lived, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called uh, his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us. That's what the name Noah means. It means comfort or it means rest. It says, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. I mean, remember, Adam, he lives 55 years into Lamech's life. Adam has told Lamech about the curse. They, they've talked about the curse, you know, that it's going on. And as the world is getting more and more wicked, Lamech, he has a son and his thought is, man, there's a hope that maybe Noah is going to turn these things around. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech 
were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Every one of us are a descendant of one of these three boys. So, like I said earlier, if you look at the names in Genesis chapter 5 in that genealogy, we see the gospel. And I think it's pretty compelling. Um, if you look at the names in the genealogy and look at their meanings, that, you know, well, you look at it. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means subject to die. Canaan means sorrowful. Mahalalel means from the presence of God. Jared means one comes down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means dying he shall send. Lamech, Lamech means to the poor and lonely or the afflicted. Noah means comfort and rest. And so when you look at it again, you put it all together. Man appointed to death, sorrowful. From the presence of God, one comes down teaching that dying he shall send to the afflicted comfort and rest. I mean, boy, if that doesn't sound like the gospel, I don't know was. And I don't think that, you know, it was, you know, a Jewish invention. Hey, we'll just write this in, you know, blow everybody's mind. I don't think it happened by accident either. I think it was placed here by the Holy Spirit to get the attention of the Jews as they're reading this. So, as we finish this chapter, you know, people will ask questions from time to time. How do we know that Adam and Eve, uh, how do we know they were really real? How do we know that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve? How do we know that there was a fall of man? You know, what's the proof? Well, the Apostle Paul, he answers this question for us in 1 Corinthians. He says, in Adam all die. The evidence is all around us that these things are, are true. And the evidence is death. Death is the proof that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. We have gotten, in our culture, I mean, we've gotten callous. We've gotten used to death. Um, we don't think a lot about it until it strikes close to home, until it you know, takes a loved one or somebody that we know uh, has died. People will ask often, well, what happens after death? And the Bible, it answers that question, but the Bible answers the more important question, the bigger question. Why is there death? Where did death come from? There are so many religions out there, so many religious systems out there that have no answer for where death came from. But they want to tell us what happens to us after death. Well, listen, unless you can tell me where death came from and why it's present in the human existence, why should I believe anything that you have to say? The answer needs to start out with, uh, for me, you got to answer the question, then it might be worth me listening to your answers about the ideas you have of life after death. But until you can tell me where death came from and why it's here, then I can't trust anything you have to say about overcoming death. But the Bible answers this question for us. Why is there death? Where did it come from? 
It's a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. Another proof that we uh, are in a fallen state and that we are descendants of Adam and Eve, Paul tells us in Romans 2, and that's that we all have a conscience. In every culture, there's an understanding of what's right and what's wrong. It's universal. It's always wrong to lie. It's always wrong to murder. It's always wrong to steal. And it's always right to tell the truth and be honest. It's always right not to murder. It's always right not to steal. It's universal in every culture around the world. And what's interesting is that people, they don't live up to their conscience. Their conscience is higher than their experience and their understanding of right and wrong. And so what it tells us is that the conscience, it comes from outside of us. Its origin is in God. And the difference, any thinking person will see that the difference between the life that they live and the life that they know is the life to live by right and wrong, that reveals to them that they're a fallen creature because, again, they're not living up to that, high, that conscience. They're, it's a proof that they were designed to live on a higher plane. And we're not getting better. We were better, and we're in a fallen state now. We read all about death in this chapter, and uh, it corresponds with what we know to be true in our, in our life. It testifies of the truthfulness of God's Word. And a person has to refuse to listen to what their own conscience is telling them, what their own experiences are telling them, uh, to reject it. This chapter, I mean, a lot of people think uh, genealogies are boring, but this chapter moves us swiftly through 1,600 years, getting us to the flood of Noah. But Genesis 3.15, it promises a Savior from the seed of the woman. So God gives us these genealogies to prove the lineage of the Messiah, to give us proof that Jesus is the Savior, born of the seed of the woman who has victory over sin and death. And if you're not a believer today, you know, death is going to come knocking at your door. There is going to be a judgment for rejecting Jesus Christ. It can't be escaped based on your own merit or based on your own good works. It can only be escaped, that judgment can only be escaped by coming to Jesus and placing your faith in Him and turning from your sins. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one that gives us victory over death. And death has no power over the believer. You know, when we stand before the Lord, He's going to ask each one of us a question. And the question is not going to be, hey, why should I let you into heaven? Or what good deeds have you done? The question is going to be, what have you done with my son? What have you done with the, the free gift of salvation that, that is offered to you? You know, there's going to be no excuses that day. You're not going to be able to say, you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know about it. You know, you've heard and you're responsible for that information. Why not surrender now? Why not confess your sins now? Why not come to the Lord now? Just soften your heart and just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess. Just agree with God. Trust your life to Him. Exercise your faith in Him. And uh, receive from Him that free gift of salvation.
Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for, God, just the thoroughness of your word, the provability of your word, the sureness of your word. Lord, we see that, that death reigns in men. <clears throat> but thank you, for, thank you for the understanding that there's a way to escape death, and that's by coming to you. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters out there, Lord, that they would just um, walk closer to you. Lord, they would rely on the Holy Spirit to help them live the life that's pleasing to you, that they would be looking to you, Lord, just trusting in you in a way that would just bring pleasure to you. Hoping in your mercies bring, brings pleasure to you, it says in the Psalms. Lord, help us as a church just go forward on our knees, Lord, seeking you. Seeking you for your heart for this uh, area, Lord. Seeking you for your heart in every uh, marriage, in every life that's a member of this body, Lord. Looking for your soon return. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe don't know you, that have uh, watched this study and have listened, maybe don't understand everything that was spoken of. But Lord, your spirit is talking to them. I just pray for them that they would surrender, that they would just bow their knee and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that you would um, just meet them. Lord, reveal yourself to them. And uh, Lord, just let them know how much you love them, how much you want to love them, how much you embrace them. Lord, I just uh, thank you for this time together, Lord. And I just, I just uh, pray that, God, the rest of the evening would be an evening where we're thinking about you. Maybe the rest of this week is a week where we get back into your word and look these things over and see if they're true. Lord, just let your spirit speak to us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, God bless you all for listening. If you prayed and asked Christ to, to forgive you of your sins, get a hold of us at the church office. Yeah, let's talk. Let's get a Bible in your hands. Let's help you. Uh, let us help you in your newfound walk with the Lord. God bless you guys. Have a great night.